Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the RiderFlex podcast. Along with our daily tips on career advice, our show features entrepreneurs, business owners, executives, and influencers from all types of industries, sharing their stories, providing advice based on their experiences, and chatting about their companies. If you're interested in being a guest on our show, you can email us at podcast at riderflex.com. And if you like today's episode, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and give us a quick thumbs up. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Bob Hall on the Rider Flex podcast. Hi, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? All right. Where are you at today? Are you in Golden? Are you in the office or where are you? I am at Outriders Global Headquarters in Golden, Colorado, uh, right at the base of North Table Mountain. Very nice, beautiful area. You know, we, uh, we're recording this on February 1st, 2022. Got some snow coming in tonight. I'm sure you know that. Can't wait. Uh, I, I, uh, I look at open snow and the snow forecast pretty religiously. So I, I am one of those folks who loves driving in the snow. Can't wait to commute, um, uh, in a, in a couple inches of fresh powder. So what do you drive? You driving like a Jeep, you're driving a, a forerunner. What do you, what do you got? Well, um, the, I'm, right now I'm driving the, uh, the, the family cruiser. It's a, it's a land cruiser. Um, uh, and it's, it, it, we got it so that it could handle the outdoors and a lot of, you know, kids and a lot of gear in the back and bikes and skis and everything else. So that's the commuter vehicle for now. Tell me about your family. Uh, tell me about your wife and kids and give me, yeah, give us some overview there. If you don't oh, mind. And they're so great. Uh, we could talk this whole podcast about Victoria my wife of seven and a half years, um, Vivian, my soon to be six year old. Um, she was born on February 13th. We thankfully missed Valentine's Day, so she's not going to be scarred with that the rest of her life. Um, and uh, my two and a half year old son, Alexander, um, they're just so much fun. Um, uh, we're, we've got a, you know, a family ritual in the winter. We go up to the mountains and we ski. Um, uh, Victoria and I drop Vivian off at uh, ski school and then Victoria and I ski together. Alexander is still kind of in babysitting phase, but we do bring him on the magic carpet. Um, the kid's a little animal. Um, he's just got good gross motor and stands up on skis and just wants to whiz down the mountain. But we, you know, we're, we're doing it like, you know, once every couple of weeks with him, but uh, very really nice love the mountains and the outdoors. Where's your family from your mom and dad? Um, I'm a little bit of a mutt. So I grew up, so my mom's from Southern California. My dad's from Long Island, from New York. Um, and I have, you know, her side of the family, a lot of California, a lot of Southern California, um, dad's side of the family, Northeast. And I grew up in both areas, um, uh, born in San Francisco, was there till I was five. Um, dad was a finance guy. So, um, got transferred to the New York area and I, uh, spent a good chunk of childhood in, in um, the New York metro area in Connecticut. And then we moved back to California uh, when I was around middle school. Um, again, you know, a, a, a job change thing and, you know, being near family, either my mom's side or my dad's side were the anchors um, of those moves. So, 
but I don't really have a hometown that I can say I kind of grew up in consistently for my the 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 years of my youth. Did your uh, are your mom and dad still married? They're still alive, or what's the story? Yeah, they are married and alive, and uh, you know they are really cute couple. Um, they are, you know, I I often get the feedback from friends. They're just they're they're very sweet. Um, they love their kids a lot. Um, grew up my sister and I together, and um, have a half brother. But um, my parents are very happy. They live in San Diego. Um, my dad still, uh, you know, gets out there, does triathlons and biathlons. He's really really 80 he's probably not setting getting his prs anymore but he's uh getting out there he's uh he's a tough he's a tough guy and my mom's a gardener and she's a member of the rose society um down there and um so they're pretty active and, and healthy folks and they host us every year at thanksgiving so oh they that's, that's great uh was your dad or mom were they ivy leaguers as well because i know you went to princeton and so what's the What's uh, what's the story there? Were they, uh, you know, yeah. kind of follow their path? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, dad was an Ivy Leaguer um, uh, a couple times. Uh, got it, you know, came up, did it, got an MBA, um, you know, and then spent his whole career in finance. My mom, um, you know, you know, both of them are really interesting and inspiring, and and um, were great role models for just sort of my focus on education and studying mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, um, is a voracious reader, um, okay. you know, literally like five, six, seven books a week. And she's been doing that for the past 50, 60, 70 years. Um, oh, she's, wow. she's, yeah. Um, and I grew up with seeing that and she, um, at, at, during her college years, she actually spent a year, um, year going to college when, uh, when she was younger, dropped out. And then she went, put herself through college when I was in elementary school. Um, really? Was, we lived in Connecticut and she decided she's, I'm going to get a bachelor's degree. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, go through life without a college education. And she went to college at uh, State University of New York, SUNY at uh, Purchase, which was in Westchester County, a you know, short drive away from where we lived. Oh. And I grew up seeing her studying. She wrote a senior thesis. This was back in the eighties when we had an IBM PC and she was stressing about printing out her like 90 page thesis <laughs> on the dot matrix printer. And it was so formative because she was just immersed in books. And it was, it sort of like, you know, you, you sort of, you know, as a parent, you want to model behaviors for your kids, but as a kid, you see these behaviors and they just become kind of part of you. And that was, you know, at the time it was like, Oh, mom's studying. We should study. But when I, as an adult, I look back on that and I'm like, wow, total respect. I mean, she's raising two kids and studying like crazy and did exceptionally well. She graduated summa. And so that was just so inspiring to sort of like digest that, um, you know, that kind of parental Mm -hmm. experience that she went through. Where'd your dad go to school? He went to Princeton. Okay. He went to Princeton. So you followed him. You followed. Okay, great. Very good. Well, congratulations, by the way, getting into Princeton, even if your dad went to, that's a big deal. So congrats. Plus, you, uh, plus, didn't you get your, your MBA from Dartmouth? Got it from Dartmouth. Um, decided I wanted to go back and uh, sharpen the blade and, you know, build the toolkit and all those, you know, cliches about what, what an MBA brings you and it, and it certainly delivered. 
um two Once years you, uh, you were you were active in princeton weren't you on the road team and uh talk to me about some of the some of the athletics yeah um that was a really big part of my you know growing up i i played all the you know the ball sports football basketball baseball um, i was a big kid i stopped growing when i was in eighth grade um showed up in ninth grade and um uh, got someone uh got me into rowing and i became a, a competitive rower in high school and then uh, rowed okay, in college gotcha. all right uh, and had big aspirations um you know we did really well as a team um and our you know we that twice a day um five six days a week training through you know entire through my entire college years um it was really exciting because princeton was pretty good but never really kind of made it uh okay. before we got there and then we you know turned them into a national champion and um it was just an exceptional experience and i'm still very close friends with everyone who's part of that you know who was part oh, of oh I, I i bet yeah i mean those those things you cherish i mean you'll remember those moments for the rest of your life right i love the fact that you have that on your linkedin profile too i think it's fantastic anytime i'm talking to somebody and they played uh, or any kind of sport or, you know, athletics in college, whether it's Ivy league, D one, D two, that that's a big deal. I mean, because, you know, it takes a lot of energy and determination and, and so forth to, to do that yeah. while you're going to school. So I can respect that. Yeah. Congrats on that, by the way. Very nice. Thank you. You, you probably got some, you, you got some pictures in your office. I'm sure all that good stuff. Um, pictures are of, are of children. I, I'm, I, I feel like it's a little, I, th I've got the pictures of rowing and, you okay. know, athletics at home, but uh, not still getting comfortable putting, you know, all of my, <laughs> you know, personal, personal kind of relics or artifacts around my desk. But uh, I am very proud of it. And there's, there's a lot of memorabilia at, at home. Uh, let me ask you this. Were you always just a straight A kid, never got in trouble or were you, you know, was there anything in there where you're like, you know, you had to, the sheriff's department called your dad and he had to come get you anything fun, anything interesting. <laughs> um, I was, I was, I was always a good student uh, growing up. And then I became a, a pretty, I was a pretty good student after that. I, I went to some, I, I was in the midst of very, very, um, you know, crushingly difficult academics in high school and um, some, some very brilliant, very talented people. So I w went from, as a lot of people do when they get into like, you know, um, you know, a really competitive uh, institution, they, they find that, you know, they were, they were really good in their sort of minor league background or their, you know, <laughs> their Bush league background, but then they go to the majors and they're like, wow, everyone is just Every an absolute, yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely accomplished. Um but I, I was pretty good. And, um, a lot of it was around things that inspired me and, um, you know, the, a little bit of the sort of the business kind of top, you know, as I got a little older, um, and, and when the curriculum really expanded, you know, kind of tore a page from my dad's background and wanted to learn about business and economics and finance. And from my mom, my mom majored in history when she put herself back through college and so just got really excited about, you know, transformative periods in world and in U.S. history. Um, was, your, was your dad an entrepreneur or was he just a finance guy or did he, he invest? He's a CFO. Did he, did he, 
He was, he was CFO. CFO. Okay. All right. All I right. actually remember some, um, and I don't remember him too well, so I don't have lots of details and, and like great nuggets to share, but I do remember him. We talked about this and we talked about what it was like, you know, what it's like being a CFO and why he liked that and why he didn't, um, you know, why, you know, he wasn't an entrepreneur and, and we talked about risk and getting comfortable with, um, mm. you know, mm. with what you're great at and, and what inspires you, but also making sure it, it, it fits with how much risk you want to take on, whether in a, you know, in, a, in the narrow co context of a job or the larger context of, you know, life choices. Um, so he, um, yeah, those were in, but he was a CFO and, uh, you know, it was a really good one. And, um, there were a lot of lessons and, and, and stuff you pick up, like every kid picks up about their parents' work, um, that, that sort of just informs your, your judgment and, and, uh, and, and your choices and how you think about the place of, um, you know, how the, the role work plays in, in your life and your sort of personal progression. When you uh, first stepped out and made a couple of investments or started getting involved with, with startup, was he, was he like, what the hell are you doing? Like, no, just go get a regular job. <laughs> My dad, it's interesting. The, the parenting philosophies were a study in contrasts. My dad, um, laissez-faire, let the kids figure it out. Okay. Like they can just fail and they'll just, you know, fail in the sense of, falling off a log or, you know, landing wrong on a trampoline, like that kind of failure, as well as, you know, failing, you know, uh, you know, it, it, and, and failing is just used broadly, by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean like fail yeah. in capital F um, or grade fail. But my dad was kind of like, you're going to figure it out. Like you got an ed good education and you've got all the tools you need and let me know when you want some advice or feedback. And, and then it was like, you're off. My mom growing up um, was, you know, was stricter and was the, you know, was the rule enforcer and had a very, very high bar on, on sort of behavior and, you know, your, my comportment and decorum. Um, so they were, they were two things. One was the structure and one was, and it, they, Interesting. You, know, you can almost see how they like writ large, they manifest themselves and you know, in how in corporate governance or in, you know, in the political, you know, political structures. Um, one was sort of, you know, the um, like, let the states choose. And one was the, you know, the federal government was, was sort of there. <laughs> my dad was states, you know, in, in sort of that kind of represented some of his, his political background. And my mom was the federal, she had like, the rules. she would get involved, she would, you know, she would, provide those course corrections or that immediate feedback. And my dad was like, you, you will learn, you will learn through experience Interesting. You will learn Interesting. Through successes and failures. And it was a great mix. Yes, uh, absolutely. That shaped you a bunch. I'm sure. Uh, how did you, before we get into your career, I want to do that. But first, how'd you meet your wife? Um, I met her in San Francisco. Um, a, uh, actually an ex-girlfriend introduced us oh. an ex-girlfriend who I be, we became friends and we really liked and respected each other. And I think she, um, she just got inspired. She had met Victoria in another, um, you know, in another social setting. And I think she was like, Bob Hall should meet this woman. Mm. And um, mm. so she introduced us. It turns out she introduced us while Victoria was, was very um, spoken for. Um, oh, 
but um, but then you know, and it timing for a number of reasons didn't work out at that point. And then we met up uh, about a year later, and it was just um, uh, the the connection was, uh, was immediate spark, immediate spark. Like it was just the energies there. It yeah, was, and it was there originally, but it was just one of those things where it was just complicated and um you know fate you know circumstances intervened and then but a year later it was you know i i it was almost like an out-of-body experience i kind of you know those times when you're you yourself are experiencing something but you also kind of can see yourself experiencing it and you're sort of with you know you're sort of witnessing it like like a third Mm -hmm. party that was when i when i connected with my wife and when you know after um and, and when we stayed together afterward I felt like that. It was like, yeah, I'm watching myself meet my wife, my future wife. And Mm -hmm. it felt like it did feel like destiny. I know it's so cornball to say that, but that was, that was that experience. And it was wonderful. And it was really something I was hoping I would find sometime in my life. And I was like, man, I'm so glad I, I waited and for, for the right moment. And very good. Were you close? Were you close before? Were you serious with somebody? Did you almost get married before or anything, anything like that? Or I, I had, I had serious relationships and then I, you know, sprinkled with, you know, um, some short, some long periods of being yeah. a bachelor. Yeah. You learn, a, learn a lot during those times, right? You learn like when you're a young man, you go through a few relationships, you really start to learn how oh, to yeah. manage relationships properly, take care of your partner, man. Uh-huh. I think I think back about all the stupid things I did <laughs> with my first marriage or I was like, yeah, yeah. It's right. Good. Yeah. And I I really learned from some of the serious girlfriends I had that, you know, I, I learned a heck of a lot from in terms of how to be responsible for someone else and not just yourself. I mean, that that sort of transformation you go through um, after you graduate from college before then you are just so self-absorbed and focused on your score, yep. at least a lot of people are not everyone. Um, I, yes. I feel like I was, I, it was, I was very focused on my own goals and my own progression and I didn't get out of my own head. Um, and I don't think in bad ways or, you know, societally unproductive ways, but like getting, being in a, you know, a, you know, long-term relationships, you are, you're all of a sudden you kind of recast your set of priorities and, mm-hmm. and sort of how you, the expectations you set for yourself on how you want to behave and treat others. And it, it was, you know, marvelous training for <laughs> getting me ready for the big, you know, going back to that big leagues analogy, but like right. Victoria, Victoria was what I was training a long time for it <laughs> to make sure I nailed it. And thank goodness I did. And she was very supportive. Um, well, awesome. Walk us into your career. So you get you get out of Princeton. You, you, plus, you get you did Dartmouth. But walk us into your career a little bit and kind of you know up to Outrider. Go ahead. Yeah, man. I, a lot of boring stuff, and I don't I don't want to bore you or your okay. readers. But um, there there were some interesting you know transition or inflection points in my career that are fun to talk about and don't make you kind of your right. eyes glaze over. But um. <laughs> the the first one was was a pretty interesting one. So I um, I was a history major and and in undergrad and 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 it was because you know I was partially inspired by my mom um, and learning about just great sort of historical 
you know, events and, and more important, the transformations and, and the characters and the circumstances that brought them about. But um, I spent most of my concentration on authoritarian and totalitarian government. Okay. And of course, you know, in the mid nineties, you can't, you, you could not sort of avoid the headlines and sort of the, um, you know, the news being generated by Russia. And it's you know right. recent emergence from communism and you know communism ended in ninety one, and then throughout the nineties that country was just going through a massive upheaval and transformation, and while I was writing my senior thesis on sort of in you know youth indoctrination methods in World War II from the you know of the totalitarian governments I, you know I couldn't help but just pick up the Economist and read about Russia and what was going on there and I just thought. I need to be in Russia. Mm. Uh, I, I need to, um, you know, I need to check it out. And, you know, really quick sidebar. I, I guess I had always thought I'd go into business, which is, you know, overly broad, you know, very vague thing, but just like be, you know, not government, not a doctor, yeah, all sorts of things. But I just knew I wanted to be in business. Like, like there was something, there's interesting things to do in business. But I also had this adventurous streak as very independent. I, I was fiercely independent from a very young age um, and wanted to kind of strike out on my own path and, and, and get adventure. And I somehow wanted to blend personal excitement with professional growth. Yeah, yeah, and sure. Long story short, so that's the setup. Um, right after college, uh, packed a duffel bag, got a few contacts from like my high school and college alumni networks. and got on a flight, Aeroflot flight from San Francisco to Moscow. Wow. And all I knew was there's a lot of stuff going on here and I want to be part of it. And long story short, um, uh, I got introduced to a guy who uh, is actually, his name was Tom Reed, great guy, um, but was, got into Russia, you know, right after the, um, uh, um, the, you know, sort of the onset of the capitalist era then in the early nineties and was successful and was like the founder of Gold's Gym Russia. Oh, uh, really? Moscow. And I ended up meeting him at that Gold's Gym and there's a racquetball court there. And we, he asked me to play racquetball long as, but I ended up working. He spoke, he spoke English, spoke English, but he was working for uh, one of like the oligarch uh, of Russia at the time. And okay. I uh, joined uh, this, this merchant bank there and was the, a financial analyst working on all sorts of um, deals and media and telecommunications for, um, you know, for this oligarch who was amassing his sort of industrial and media empire. Um, so you were working for his company then uh, as a finance guy, basically. Yeah. Worked for okay. this bank and I was the American we, we, totally. We, we, li we live in like in some little apartment. Like, I mean, I'm trying to visualize this. Are you like in downtown or like, where are you? So I am in um, uh, VDNH, is the name of the metro station in Moscow, Vedenha, um, and I lived in a little flat, and um, I wow. took the metro, the Moscow subway into work every day, and spoke Russian, not great, but uh, passing, passingly well. Oh, oh. And I was okay. this just bright-eyed, I was the bright-eyed, you know, just eating the whole world through all my senses kid who was just like, I am living this amazing life um, on this wacky adventure, you know, 
kind of got myself into a you know banking financial analyst job working to help this oligarch build his empire. Pretty and cool. So exciting. It was go, go. Like whatever you read about Russia in the 90s, the, the, the cliche saying old West, I can almost guarantee they were understatements. It, really? It, it was mm. it was absolutely wild there. Mm, mm, and exciting mm. because there were all sorts of investors, uh, entrepreneurs, bankers, capitalists, like all over the world converging on Russia into Moscow to help. Now it was more like it was like a startup country at that point. We talk about startup companies, but this was a okay. startup country. All right. So you're doing this, you're working for this guy. Okay. And then what happened? Um, well, the there was the the ruble crisis and the, you know, the um there was the Asian financial crisis in the late 90s, which more or less kind of shut down all the 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 go-go activity in emerging markets um, and engineered my transition back to the US. Um, ended up at a at a venture firm called Palo Alto Ventures. Um, ah, so there you go. There, that's how okay. Now you're in a venture firm. All right. Yeah. All right. And this was yep. the this was the effectively the corporate VC arm of Philips Electronics. And so um, and I kind of came back with this really exciting and this, you know, there might be some lessons here, but I remember coming back from Russia. I'd wanted to stay in Russia for years and really get into it. It wasn't really in the cards, you know, not a fluent Russian speaker and not a, you know, established sort of banker. So I came back to the, the U.S. with like all this excitement and, and sort of momentum and got that job. And that was like my, my first job really um, in the U.S. at least, because I was doing some of this in, in Russia, but evaluating, you know, technology driven, you know, media communications companies for, um, you know, that that Philips Electronics wanted to invest in. And you and, and then what happened? What, you, you only stayed for a couple of years. So somebody recruited you yeah. away. You, you and me recruited you well, away. What happened? I joined and then I joined my first real venture backed startup. Um, and this was my formative, really, you know, um, uh, you know, an early career defining um, professional yep. choice, yep. um, joined a company called Mahi Networks, which was building oh. this astounding, um, you know, marvel of communications and networking technology, but more or less it's, you know, networking and, and telecom technology is largely um, driven by innovations and in, in switching and routing. Um, which are things that are just kind of the underlying infrastructure of the modern world. But um, Mahi Networks was building this um, piece of equipment, which are it's basically just a giant computer um, that's very, with very specialized software focused on getting, you know, um, bits and bytes um, in and out of metro areas and transporting them on long distance. Was that your yeah. first? Was that your first kind of scary move? Scary move, like oh, small startup, like oh, boy, I don't know if this is going to um, make it. It was a. Good. I mean, it was an exciting startup at the time. There was, you know, people talk about the dot com boom. There was also the telecom boom back in the late '90s, early 2000s, and this build out of the telecom infrastructure and Mahi Networks was certainly playing a big part in that and developing, you know, a very innovative product. But it was, you know, the company when I joined the company it was about 150 employees. Okay. They were backed by Sequoia Capital. Oh, they were okay. Capital, Goldman Sachs. Okay. I mean, okay. just a, a who's who of you know investor roster. I see. I, and I, see. I was the young sort of commercial in on in the commercial uh, part of that company and kind of had a variety of roles in, um, you know, product marketing, corporate marketing, product management, business development, and spent four years there. 
um, help build the business to a, you know, a really great set of early customers and um, left before it sold, but um, spent, you know, that was my formative experience going into like building startups. Okay. Learned, okay. learned from just really wonderful mentors, including a guy named Ron Longo, who was the VP of worldwide marketing, who I think about today um, because a lot of what I learned at Mahi, which is, you know, it's a hardware and software integrated system. There are a lot of analogs to um, today at Outrider with a, you know, a robotic system, which, you know, has a lot of the same kind of parallels to a tele, a, you know, a, a, a switch or a router, except it's on wheels rather than being, you know, sitting in a central office somewhere. So learned a, a heck of a lot about building companies and, you know, building for growth. And you also, from a functional perspective now, you're, you're, you're started in finance with numbers, but now you're bleeding into sales and ops and you're getting well-rounded with sales and ops as functionally, which is, which is, eventually shaping you to be like a COO because now you can do it. You can do all three, right? You know, the numbers, you're good at ops, you're good at sales. Is that, is that where that started shaping a little bit? Yeah. I mean, learning from a lot of our careers are defined by experiences and not just sort of the knowledge and skills we bring in and the experience of building a very fast growing, very promising technology company, um, and, and, and it's exciting to do it and it's exciting, especially when you're working with brilliant, uh, you know, charismatic experienced people, mm -hmm. it just made me realize I love this. I love building a company and, you know, gotcha. we all love building successful companies. So you you want to focus on that, but, you know, building an, a, an absolute machine, um, with the company around surrounding the, you know, sort of the machine, the product. Mm -hmm. But we were, it was incredibly exciting. I supported multiple financings and, you know, product launches and just got uh, uh, exposed to a lot of the function, the core functions of building, you know, a, 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 a high growth technology driven company. And yes, you're right. The, the numeracy and the sort of the qualitative sides, of, you know, all the human stuff you deal with and, and mm -hmm. judgment and decision-making on that, as well as tying it to, you know, how you make the business work, the numbers part of it um, was a big part of it. No, no big payout for you though on that because you left before. Okay. So that no, no, no uh, giant check for Bob at that point. Not yet. No, anyway. no. Um, and I, <laughs> I was like startups do, you know, I, I, I got, um, I spent a lot of my sort of personal and, and professional bandwidth uh, on that company. And I, I wanted to, really um, invest in my career and invest in my sort of skills and growth. And so uh, applied to business school and, and got into Tuck and had a wonderful experience there. And um, of, of the many things that I got to do at Tuck, um, one of them was uh, meet Andrew Smith, who was uh, my classmate oh, at Dartmouth and founder, founder CEO of Outrider. Oh, I see. That's you guys met there. Okay. Did he have yep. the idea there? Are you guys like having beers? And he's like, Hey man, I'm, I got this idea. I'm, I'm going to do this. No, it's, I mean, Andrew and I had different sort of interests and, and focus areas at school. We, we always sort of, we always seem to see eye to eye on just generally like cool okay. business ideas or things to do and markets, but we also really connected on, you know, the extracurricular stuff. So we spent a lot of time outdoors Okay. Uh, mount, mountain biking, trail running, hiking up in the, in the white mountains in New Hampshire, mm. um, and, um, in the Himalayas and in other places where we went. But, um, 
you know, he started his first company at Dartmouth, um, which was a trailer aerodynamics business. And he spent nine years building that and sold it and basically got a crash course in the supply chain in freight transportation, i.e. 18 wheelers and trucking. And that's his exposure to what was going on in the, in the sort of the, the distribution hubs of the modern supply chain, i.e., you know, like trailer yards and everything really sparked the idea that uh, for, for Outrider. Um, I, I went in a different direction after Dartmouth. He, he, he was focused on grinding out the success of his, his startup. I went into private equity and joined a firm called Summit Partners, which was just a, you know, a fantastic platform. I mean, a, a world-class business and very successful um, uh, investors, but spent two years there um, uh, evaluating um, investments in, in high growth technology companies. And that, that sort of like brought back, um, really kind of cemented my sort of love of working with high growth companies and innovative companies um, and was sort of the investing counterpart to my time before Dartmouth working in a startup in, in, in commercial roles. And then you um, went on to, to do a couple more, you went on to do a couple more things, but now you're, now you're full blown startup VC world, early business. Yeah. You're, you're now you're in love with it. You're in that world. This is where you're Probably. at. You, yeah. I love being on a mission. I love building companies from the inside. Um, certainly it's fun to, to invest money in, in promising businesses and being on the outside, but I get a thrill from, you know, from building the company and, and really, you know, the day-to-day decision-making of where to focus uh, effort and energy. Um, I just don't, I just didn't as much as summit was just a phenomenal, phenomenal institution for understanding in, you know, evaluating and analyzing businesses from the outside, I wanted to be on the inside and joined a company that um, I had, you know, I'd met and and learned a lot more about when I was at Summit, a company called Yumi, which was in the uh, like marketing technology space um, that, you know, I, I helped, I was one of many people there, but helped, helped it grow to um, uh, you know, a successful business and, and an IPO. And IPO is, is that a cash? Is that a payday for Bob? Is that the first big payday? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, yeah, it put some money <laughs> in the pocket. It wasn't anything where, you know, I, I don't want to brag about it because I was one of many people working very hard. Understood. Yeah, I understood. And IPO it. And then what you, you take off and you do this uh, radium one for a little bit. I uh, joined radium one. And that was, you know, that was the first time where I was going to a more, um, you know, a company that, you know, had, you know, serious revenue scale and an interesting, um, you know, focus for me. And, and, um, I was part of, I, I joined as head of business development and then, um, became the chief strategy officer, but I was responsible for, um, a set of, uh, analytical tool analytics tools for, um, major brands to understand, you know, what their users and, and, um, fans and, um, consumers were doing online across multiple different channels, like your desktop and your mobile phone and social um, so I got a chance to really kind of help um, steer the product roadmap and the execution for this set of, um, you know, web analytics, you know, subscription-based tools um, and, and sort of built on my background at UMI where, you know, focused mm-hmm. on web services and, you know, enterprise grade um, platforms. And that's kind of in that experience, we ended up 
um, Radium One ended up getting acquired, and I helped um, the CEO and the executive team. Um, okay, great. More, back. more awesome, more but, awesome experience. Yep. Yeah. So affected the the sale, the successful sale or acquisition of the company. And when I left Radium One, I felt like you know I'd spent ten, 10 years post Summit Partner, ten ish years post Summit Partners, um, building you know software as a service and and web services businesses. Um, and really loved it. I love the in intricacy and complexity of marketing technology and marketing automation, but I, I wanted to step back and think, you know, could I apply what I've learned, all these experiences to a new opportunity? Um, so I, I took a self-imposed, you know, six month break um, cool. to do personal stuff and explore, you know, some other personal passions that I have. Um, and Were you married? Were you married when you did the six month thing or no? Yeah, I was married, had uh, had Vivian, our, our first child. She was there. I spent some time on the East Coast. Um, I, you know, uh, pursued some, you know, athletic, uh, you know, sports nice. passions of mine. Um, triathlons, any of that? I used to do triathlons. Um, I got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, really? after, after mm -hmm. business school and a little bit before business school, but really got into it after business school. And I you know, I had been doing endurance sports, sports that you do, there's one motion and you do it repetitively for a long time. So rowing, swimming, I ended up doing triathlons and marathons um, after college, but kind of got, I wanted something, you know, exciting and different, like that used your mind and used sort of, you know, had a lot of variety in sort of like the workout. And I got um, I wanted to try a martial art. I'd never done one okay. in my whole life and wow. asked a bunch of friends who were, did martial arts. And I said, if you did any martial art, um, if you could just do your whole career over again, what, what would you pick? And every single person said Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, do you, do you still train? Do you still go? You still, um, still I, I've been training. Um, yeah, I am. I still identify myself. That is my sport. Um, I have cool. taken a almost two year break because of COVID. Um, mm. I made a, a, an agreement with Victoria that I wouldn't because it is a very personal yeah. um, gotcha. enterprise yeah. fighting um, yeah. and sparring yeah. and grappling. Um, COVID is it is not good for families with unvaccinated <laughs> children. So um, this Pfizer news last night, like that the FDA may approve a young uh, vaccination for for you know kids under the age of five, is great news because it means I can see you know when I can get back on the mat and train. Gotcha. But anyway, that's a side thing. Um, nice to know. Nice to know. If we're ever out at happy hour and 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 you know shit's going down, you you I'll, I'll stand next to you so you can you can take care of whoever's causing problems. <laughs> I, I got your back. Uh, uh, so what happens? Does Andrew call you? He's like, Hey man, come help me. Come help me do this. Or what? Tell me. Andrew, how it happened. Yeah. Andrew. I mean, Andrew Smith is a fusion reactor of energy. I mean, he is just full of just an overwhelming entrepreneur, positive entrepreneurial energy and focus. Um, and we reconnect, I mean, we were good friends and did a lot of stuff for, for years after college together, but, um, hadn't connected with him in a, in, in a few months. And he calls me up and he says, got this great idea. Um, I want to automate these, you know, these trucks that, you know, are in charge of moving trailers at these distribution centers and it's a robotics problem. So it's a, it's, it's driverless or autonomous trucks, mm -hmm. but 
we want to build, I, I really have this vision for building a subscription-based or SaaS model around it. And you, you know something about that, don't you, Bob? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm okay. Like have, have a good working knowledge of how, how that works and the dynamics. And, um, and he said, well, you know, help me out. Like help me just kind of think about the business and package it a little bit and maybe help with fundraising. And, and I got it. I got into all the different aspects of the business right when he was forming it, right after he had hired some of the key, you know, mm. early, very senior, very experienced veteran engineers um, in the Denver area. And he said, you know, help me with, you know, kind of asked me to help with a bunch of the business stuff, recruiting, customer oh work, um, fundraising, you know, some product strategy stuff. And I just dove in and could not believe the, what the, the cliche, the product market fit that I, I had seen whenever we spoke with customers or investors or roboticists. But um, I got involved in all these aspects of the business and, and long story short, I mean, you didn't ask this, but I, 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 I just could not um, get over how good the traction was with the business. Okay. Everyone I spoke with said, oh, really smart application of autonomy. That makes a lot of sense. That's something that you know, isn't going to take decades to commercialize. Um, and I just thought, okay, this is businesses in Denver. It's not robotics is not, you know, my background, but I do have a lot of background in building growth companies and yep. helping, yep. you know, really kind of communicate like, value. Yeah. And, and I thought, plus you, plus, you know, Andrew, you guys know each other, which I think is Andrew. so important. Yep. I know Andrew, um, know him well, respect him like crazy and really love that kind of entre I mean, that, that absolutely contagious entrepreneurial energy, which is just so essential when you're building hard to build things. Yes. And I thought this is really, I, I, you know, this is one of those things where I'm sort of experiencing it. And then I'm sort of witnessing outside my body, witnessing me experiencing it. And I'm like, this is the kind of thing I've been searching for my whole career. Something that where it is, ab it is the time that for this thing to, to be built. Like now is the time everyone is thinking, oh my gosh, what a great idea. I want to join. I want to sign up. I, I would love to try your product. I would, I'm interested in, in potentially investing in this kind of business. And I, I had just never seen that type of rapid um, sort of endorsement of an early idea. And I'm like, I need to do this. I need to join. I just need to get over it. You know, my discomfort that it's really early stage. Um, Cause sometimes like you have a stage you join at, like sometimes really early and sometimes right. really late is not the right thing for people. But I was like, this is because wrong. you joined, cause you joined way, way pre-revenue. Right. I mean, there was, this was, I mean, a month after the company, you know, yeah, there's okay. the legal formation, but then, you know, it took a few months, but like a, about a month after like people actually got hired to start working on the business, Andrew pulled me in. I was a consultant because wow. mm. I was like, I don't know, like I'll check it out and other <laughs> consulting. And that's when I sort of the, this revelation. I'm just like, I just have never seen this kind of, you know, as, as the term product market fit overwhelming right. It's like, I got to do it. And I was in San Francisco. The business is in Denver. <laughs> And I didn't know how I was going to do that, um, but I Denver seemed like a really promising, cool area. I didn't have a ton of close friends here, but um, got really excited about it and made a change. Give us the three-minute overview of Ryder. I say three-minute. Just give us the elevator pitch of Outrider. Um, 
yeah. for people who don't know what we're talking about. And by the way, for the listeners, um, it is Outrider.ai, Autonomous Yard Operations. Give us the uh, three-minute elevator pitch, if you don't mind. Go for it. You don't really want me to talk for three minutes straight, do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, fantastic business. So we are delivering autonomous yard operations. And, and, and just for the uninitiated, um, Outrider is focusing on a pervasive and absolutely critical link in the modern supply chain called distribution yards. And, and the distribution yard is really um, a, you know, it's a parking lot where trailers, you know, 18 wheeler trailers. So when you see a trailer getting pulled down the highway, oftentimes it stops at a major, you know, warehouse or a fulfillment center and gets dropped off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the trailer yard is where trailers are parked and they are moved to enable the process of getting freight between the warehouse or the, you know, fulfillment center, distribution center and the road. Um, and that, that the trailer yard is kind of like the switching hub of mm-hmm. trailers get dropped off by Joe or Jenny trucker. And then these specialized um, uh, industrial vehicles called yard trucks, which are really just kind of miniature versions of the big rigs you see pulling trailers on the mm-hmm. highway. These mm-hmm. specialized trucks are in charge of moving trailers from, you know, say a parking spot to a loading dock or, you know, an unloading dock to a parking spot. And a trailer will typically get, you know, after it enters the the yard or the distribution hub, it'll get moved anywhere from four to eight times. Really? It's day before, you know, from the point it gets like an empty trailer still has, you know, empty crates or cardboard boxes in it that get removed by workers inside the warehouse. And then it gets filled up with freight, you know, depending on the business and what's in the warehouse. Uh, Workers use forklifts or other means to get Mm -hmm. freight in the trailer. But the what Outrider is doing is automating everything that happens in that trailer yard or that distribution yard. And so everything a, um, a truck driver who drives these vehicles would do. Um, and that's not just driving the, the trailer once it's attached to the tractor and that just quick terminology. When you see an 18 wheeler, it consists of the tractor and the trailer and the tractor is the thing that pulls the trailer. Um, mm-hmm. But we are automating the movement of that tractor trailer combination, as well as all of these intricate, you know, very precise uh, movements that are today performed by humans, like the connection and disconnection of the brake line that attaches the tractor and trailer. Ah. Um, Little known fact, the trailer is just a 10,000 pound paperweight unless you disengage the brake line on that trailer. So every time you see a tractor pulling a trailer, the brake, you know, the, the air line from the tractor disengages those brakes so that it can move around. Um, so we are mm-hmm. doing that robotically. Um, but Outrider is developing a three-part system to automate this link in the supply chain. Um, it's, you know, all the kit that makes a, you know, all the, the hardware that goes on one of those trucks that mm-hmm. allows it to um, control the brakes and the steering and, and the actuation. Um, to see all of the, you know, environmental data around it through sensors like cameras and, and, and okay. LIDAR, um, and then plan for how to, you know, perform a route. Um, it consists of that piece. It consists of some IOT, you know, some very low cost, straightforward stuff that we put at that um, customer site. Mm. And then it consists of the actual web-based software that allows humans to 
um, like a command and control interface to um, task and you know manage all of the autonomous trucks that will be operating in their distribution yard. So it's is the really is the business model. So the business model, I think, is a yard purchases the truck or the unit. I don't know what you call it. One or two trucks, tractors. Yep. And th- that's a one-time purchase for that. Yep. And then they subscribe to a monthly SaaS service to use the <laughs> software. Is that how that works? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's a couple of low cost, you know, so upfront one-time investments in some and in, in some straightforward hardware. And then the business really centers around the ongoing subscription service of okay. of access to the software. So it's a classic SaaS model. Okay. Access to the software that controls the robotic truck, that whole stack I was just mentioning, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as well as the application software to control it. So, you know, as we as we develop the you know improvements in the performance and functionality of the software that controls the truck and all of its sort of uh, intricate maneuvers, that customers benefit from that you know that ongoing improvement in software performance, and so it's a subscription. Uh, based service. And instead of paying, um, you know, drivers every month, you pay the robotic service. And the reason that this has such a great, um, you know, sort of relationship with the modern labor market, I think it's, it is very hard for the the large enterprises that we service. So the biggest retailers, the biggest Mm -hmm. package delivery companies, the biggest consumer package goods companies, many of these are our current customers. Um, they cannot find people that want to drive these trucks. And when they find them, they can't, they often can't keep them long enough because those people are using this job as a stepping stone to other things. So it has a really good, um, you know, relationship with the labor problem of, of the supply chain and the logistics network now. And it promises to make the yard, uh, which is an area, uh, you know, uh, this complex area with a lot of interactions, make it safer make it more efficient and make it cleaner because um, Steve, one of the biggest things that we, uh, biggest business model bets we made is that we are only automating electric truck platforms. Okay. We are not automating, like we could, we had a choice of, you know, outfitting these trucks, which we, you know, we work with the manufacturers directly to, you know, to, to configure them for autonomy. We had a choice to, to automate internal combustion engine or diesel trucks. This is absolutely not in the, the mission of this company. The mission of the okay. company is to be the stewards of, uh, auto, you know, responsible stewards of uh, automation and autonomy technology, and also to advance the deployment and adoption of zero emission vehicle platforms, i.e. electric vehicles or electric trucks. So these are twin uh, business model objectives of the company to, you know, decarbonize or reduce the carbon footprint of our highly consumptive economy where everyone wants things same day or next day. And that right. extracts a, a toll on our environment, but also um, doing it in a way that's precise, you know, clean, safe, um, and efficient and using um, the best sort of off the shelf and proprietary, our own proprietary technologies for autonomy. So those and are that, the goals of the company. Okay, very good. At this point now, it's just charge forward and sign new clients and put trucks in more yards. I mean, you're there, right? The tr- you, you have the we trucks, are, you have the software, are, and now, now you're just signing clients. Charge forward. in really good shape. Um, we have um, the system itself does the job and does it well of 
moving, you know, finding the trailer, it has to move, connecting to it, you know, okay. moving it across the yard, dropping it off. So yeah, we're always going to be in, investing in improvements of the system, but you're right. It is getting, you know, working with our existing com- customers, which are very, very large, many in the fortune 50, um, but also getting new clients and, and, and really bu- building not just the company and the product, but the entire product category. We feel okay. like we are the folks who are, um, you know, designing a new way for the modern supply chain to work, focusing first on this key. Again, it is a critical and pervasive link in the modern supply chain and starting from there and um, have some exciting plans for how the, the business expands and branches out over time. I know we're uh, almost uh, up against our hour here. I'd like to ask you a couple more questions. Do you have a hard stop in two minutes? I have all the time you would like you okay. would like to have me for. So okay, if we can extend just a little bit here, I know we're going yeah. over. Let me ask you this now: um, give us an idea of how big the company is so far. Like, are do you have a truck in every Amazon yard? Uh, do you like where where are we at? I, I know it's a private company, but like. How far okay. down the road are you? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So some, some, I guess a couple data points to just give you the, a sense of the size and stage we're in. So about 160 employees, okay. um, more than two thirds of which are engineers, um, because that is the big, you know, that is the big effort of the company is designing brand new software for this application. Um, we've raised 118 million dollars in venture nice. capital total nice. across three rounds. Um, nice. And have some absolute world-class investors who really believe in the long-term vision of of automating yards um, and autonomous yard automation, but also the company itself. Um, we are we have a number of all of our customers are in the Fortune 500 uh, or that size. And can you name uh, them? Can you tell me Amazon or can you can you go into detail or no? I can, we, we have one publicly announced customer and that's Georgia Pacific and they're a fantastic uh, partner and customer. Um, that's the only one. There's 10 more um, that are, uh, we characterize as sort of our, our, our early partner customers. Um, okay. And the process right now that we're undergoing is, is we've got a great system and, a, and an overall a service offering that sort of centers on this robotic, this driverless truck. Um, customers have seen it. Many have seen it at operating in a live operational context at their distribution yards. Mm, and in those yard, in those yards, you probably still have some some human beings moving some stuff around in combination with your unit. And and there's is that is that what's happening? Yeah. Um, um, so we in when you know there are yards come in all shapes and sizes. There are yards that. You know, there's not even a dedicated yard truck that moves trailers around because um, they're just small. We, we focus on large enterprises. So again, the biggest retailers, package shippers, consumer packaged goods companies, where their distribution hubs typically work around the clock, 24-7, yes. 365. Right. And not only are they working constantly, but there are the the amount of freight and in in the in the form of you know freight in trailers, but the number of trailers moving on and off the lot um, is so large that there are multiple of these yard trucks needed to just keep trailers moving and freight moving between the warehouse and the road. So when we work with a, a customer, we um, we engage in in a really sort of deep you know consultative. Um, uh, 
dialogue with them to understand their operations, um, their sort of their freight throughput. And if, if there's a yard, you know, yards can range from, like I said, no yard truck to over a hundred yard trucks maneuvering wow. constantly just to keep trailers or containers moving. So let's just say a typical, you know, a customer um, with five trucks in their distribution yard, um, five yard trucks. So we'll lay out a plan that says, you know, one by one, there will be, you know, as, as one yard truck in service gets sunsetted or end of life, as they say, it's kind of reached its, um, the end of its usable life, they will introduce a, an, an outrider autonomous vehicle or AV to mm. sort of take over that job. And one mm. by one, because automation, um, you know, you have to make sure you do it right and, and it's, and it's safe and, um, mm. you know, you establish the right boundaries, you know, physical or geographic boundaries within the yard, but mm. also all the, you know, the specific maneuvers that the, that the AV needs to perform. We, we actually engage in this planning process with customers so that they can map out how, when and how okay. um, autonomous vehicles are introduced into the yard one by one so I that see. you go from a fully manually operated yard to a fully automated yard. And that's wow. one of the real major appeals of Outrider is that we've designed this system to work with how the world works today and all the operational constraints and rules and guidelines and input output of, of freight um, to, to design, you know, this off this, this is a, a standard product, but we configure it in a couple ways to work with our customers operations. What's the penetration uh, uh, rate so far? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you, you have a general idea of how many yard trucks are in the United States and yeah. how many of those are yours so far. And any, can you well, give me any? Yeah. yeah um, you know, we're, we're, we're really, you know, we're, we're really starting to, to dial up the, um, the, the sort of the commercial, um, uh, scaling process and, and the, and, the, and really this, the sales motion, but I will say there's a more or less 50,000 yard trucks operating okay. in North America on a daily okay. basis today. Okay. Um, our current, um, um, roster of customers represents 20% of that total, uh, that installed. I see. All right. So All right. We have a, you know, a, a, a number of absolutely massive customers whose, um, you know, their logistics network and, you know, dotting the United States and, and you know, Mexico and North America mm. represent, um, you know, all the yard trucks combined of all our customers is a, a little over 20% or one. If you're, is your, is it speed to market now, or you're just, I guess my question is from a, from a sales perspective, if you've got 20%, is, is it now? Matter- market, I want to make clear. We don't have 20% market share. Our customers represent 20%. Okay. okay. Sorry. Sorry. I don't, want you, to, I don't want to overstate. <laughs> are you now stuck in the situation where you have orders for 200 more trucks and you can't get them built or you're, you're just still trying to penetrate more customers or both. Um, we could, we could stop acquiring new customers right now and build a fabulously successful, financially successful and successful in the product sense business. Um, uh, so that said, we really want a service. We don't feel like we will have completed our mission to, to both introduce um, sustainable you know, freight transportation as well as introduce automation until we are 
automating, you know, every last yard. Uh, well, at least every last yard where people want automation. Um, oh, okay. Let me let me ask you this question. I I know some of these might be outside the lines, but uh, what keeps FedEx and and Amazon like? Aren't they? Aren't, I mean, if I, if I was head of Amazon, like if I, if I was Bezos, I'd be like, okay, well, I would just tell my guys to go build an automated vehicle, or I would just buy Outrider. <laughs> yeah, we have a ton of. Um, yeah, if I were. Um, don't know what they're thinking, but um, yeah, they have a ton of respect for Amazon because we all read the press about how well run that business is and how innovative they are. And certainly supply chain technology is is a big part of, of oh, how yeah. they build a com yes. competitive advantage. I don't know what their plans are, but um, you know, it, it um, certainly they are a, a company that a lot of other businesses that are logis logistics dependent, um, they're, they're a company that a lot of others follow the lead of. Is that the goal for, for you guys to uh, have FedEx or somebody call you and just buy the company? Is that is that the exit plan? The oh, buy the company. Um, we we want to make sure if we ever get into that uh, discussion about who's going to own the company, whether it's an acquirer or the public markets, you know, a, a, a public listing. We want to make sure we are well down the path and we are. Um, you know, where our, you know, it's, it's one milestone on the path to getting our uh, mission accomplished. So that's, our, uh, that's far in the future, but today it's, we want to make sure that every major enterprise that has, you know, is, is a key participant in the modern supply chain is considering not just yard automation broadly or autonomous yard auto, uh, operations, but outrider specifically as the key um, the leader and, and the most cost-effective, the safest, the cleanest solution to automate their yards. How about this? Who's in, who's in control of the cap table? Do you have one VC company that has invested enough to, to be, uh, quote, in charge? No, um, but we, we, take, uh, we take all the guidance and suggestions of our investors really seriously, and it's a terrific group. Um, uh, uh, the, well, you know, I just, the leads of, of the three rounds of funding that we've raised, um, new enterprise associates or NEA led our seed round, um, eight VC, the, the number eight, and then VC, um, a terrific, you know, investor, uh, investment fund based out of San Francisco with a focus on logistics and transportation, or at least an emphasis there, um, led our series A and then Coke dis disruptive technologies, um, the venture fund of the, the of the uh, coke um, I see. Uh, industrial conglomerate led our Series B round, and they've all bring a variety of perspectives from you know early stage tech in investors to you know big company um, you know technology adopters and early technology adopters for big companies have just represented a variety of perspectives that have been um, terrific for building the company and making the wisest judgments about how to you know, uh, reach our full potential as quickly as possible. That was a smooth, that's smooth answer, Bob. They're very good. I just got three more. I know we're, I know we're over. I just want to ask you like three more. Yeah. Do you, do you get to help Andrew with the phone calls from, from investors and board members when they're like, Hey, what, what, what's, what about this? What about that? Does Andrew yep. do all that? Or do you help him with some of those? Oh, I, Andrew and I work very closely on that. I mean, uh, he's the CEO and founder and he's in charge, but we've got a great working relationship on discussing the business fundamentals and okay. where we need to, where we need to go um as well as you know the 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 tactics and yes i'm involved in in board discussions and in fun and all of our fundraising uh activity 
Okay. Do you want outside the lines questions? These are totally outside the lines now. Get ready. You can tell me. We can cut it out later if you want me to. Yeah. COVID masks, vaccinations. I know a lot of CEOs and COOs are are struggling with what to do internally. Everybody's watching the news. Everybody's. The yep. whole Biden thing, the Supreme Court deal, everybody's yep. kind of like standing on the sidelines, going, "Ooh, uh, uh. what, what, what do you, what have you guys done with with employee rules, and what, what, what's your future plan?" Um, we need to keep the best interests of our employees and the business in mind, and so we. This, you're right. There's a lot. There's way more debate about this than there should be, I think. But it's, it's, we do not. This is not a political issue. This is this is purely number one is keeping our employees safe and all the constituents, you know, not just employees, but the people who interact with our company, um, including, you know, when we're at customer sites and our customers, but it's keeping employees safe and it is um, making sure that Outrider uh, is able to reach its full potential and, and there are no schedule or other impediments to doing that. And let me just kind of decompose that a little bit for to us this is a you know this is a safety issue like there you know i think the 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 virus is changing and so the people who are affected thankfully a lot of them are not getting hospitalized and much less so you know resulting in death or serious impairment um but this is we need we've got people of all persuasions at outrider young and old um, all different colors, political affiliations, military service, um, you know, gender identity and sexual orientation. And we we can't pick sides. All we need, like bottom line, we need to make sure everyone is safe and can keep their family safe. And we strongly encourage people to um, take the precautions um, if they can, um, if they're um, physical, you know, profile, their health profile and their beliefs allow them to, but we strongly encourage that. And what I rely on is not that, you know, Biden says this, or, you know, when Trump was president, Trump said that it's not about that. We have a job to do. We have really important work to do with this company. And if COVID takes people out and, um, and they can't show up to either design trucks and, 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 you know, driverless trucks or, assemble them, you know, build them or test them. We really have a, a major sort of company issue. And um, this is about keeping the business moving and, and making sure we can accomplish our mission. Um, this is not about anything other than, you know, keeping people safe and, and, and moving forward aggressively with our, with our business plan. Should CEOs and COOs and CFOs should they be on social media speaking out on hot topics and taking sides and, and, and doing oh, that? What- that's a good, this, that's a, such a terrific question. And I think about it. I think about like, what responsibility do I have to acknowledge, you know, merely acknowledge um, hot topic issues and moreover participate in those and, you know, use my own personal voice or work, you know um, you know, use my voice as equivalent to the company's voice. And, we make a, 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 to me, an ample enough statement about our intent to improve the world by focusing on, you know, our mission, which again, I've probably said it way too many times, but 
you know, sustainable freight transportation tech and automation. And those are our, those are issues that to some people are social issues to us, they are business um, and, and, you know, real world, big picture issues. I don't feel like anyone really cares about my opinion about a social or a political trend. I'm not sure it helps the conversation or that I have the time to devote to really um, nurture it. Um, if we build this company, I feel like that will be the biggest positive impact we can have on the fortunes of like American business, as well as, you know, ecologically, like the climate that we all live in. Um, so that's kind of a silent statement or, or position, um, if, if you will. Very good, my friend. Great interview. Last question. And by the way, congratulations on your entire career, your wonderful family Thanks. and and what you've done with Andrew yeah. and the team over at Outrider. Congrats. Really awesome resume and experience so far and appreciate you sharing, sharing your story. Last question. If you could put your core purpose in life right now into a sentence, oh. you know, and let's, let's do this. Let's separate your two young children and your wife. Let's set that kind of aside that we, we kind of know, like that's the special core purpose, right? Family aside from family, how would you describe Bob Hall's, core purpose in life? Um, aggressive, purposeful, focused execution. Um, I don't want to leave you hanging for five minutes as I came up with what it was, but I, I think of like that, those, those things really sort of um, pervade all, you know, my personal ambitions and my own personal growth and development, my family and how I, um, you know, what I want to accomplish with my family and the experiences that we want to have. And then, you know, my mission here at Outrider building this business that it, it is, it is having conviction and, and building up an understanding of problems to be solved and having conviction and then going after tackling those problems with, ab, you know, just unbridled sort of passion and aggression and in the positive way, like attacking the problems, um, um, to make sure that, you know, we're, we're living our best lives and, you know, you know, living out our bed, the best chapter in our careers and personal lives right now, as well as doing something that has tangible um, sort of impact and, and something where we can really kind of draw a straight line to the world happened, you know, turned out this way. And here is the impact Outrider had on it. Um, so that's what Bob Hall, thank you very much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate it, sir. I really appreciate your time. Thanks a ton, Steve.